The House and Senate are now both in recess and will not return until mid-September. Late breaking news, just a little more than an hour ago, Dr. Anthony S. Fauci announced that he would leave his position as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases by year's end. Conservatives everywhere responded, why the delay? Now, in a, in a related bit of news, last Wednesday, CDC Chief Dr. Rochelle P. Walensky, in a video distributed to the 11,000 employees of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, delivered what the New York Times called, quote, a sweeping rebuke of her agency's handling of the coronavirus pandemic, saying it had failed to respond quickly enough and needed to be overhauled, end quote. Quote, to be frank, she said, we are responsible for some pretty dramatic, pretty public mistakes from testing to data to communications, end quote. Walenska said she would reorganize the CDC to act more swiftly in the face of public health threats. The changes will be focused on sharing data more quickly and making CDC public health guidance easier for people to understand. For what it's worth, the CDC is also creating an equity office to ensure that the CDC workforce properly reflects the U.S. population. That this announcement was made and emphasized at the same time as her acknowledgement of the CDC's numerous mistakes should tell us something about the significance she attaches to her mea culpa. Now to Wyoming. On Tuesday evening of last week, Wyoming Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney was defeated in her quest for renomination. Her 37.4% loss to challenger Harriet Hageman is the second worst primary election defeat of an incumbent congressman in the last 60 years, trailing only former Republican Congressman Bob Inglis's 2010 primary runoff loss to challenger Trey Gowdy. Cheney did her best to turn lemons into lemonade, using her loss as a platform to launch an effort to deny former President Trump a second term in the White House should he choose to run for renomination and re-election in 2024. Cheney launched a super PAC on the morning after her defeat and told NBC's Today Show that she was thinking about running for president in 2024. As someone who has studied presidential elections, let me share this with you. If she chooses to run for president, either in the Republican presidential primaries or in the general election as an independent candidate, she will only help President Trump win. In 2024, if Trump runs, there will be two kinds of votes and only two kinds of votes, pro-Trump votes and anti-Trump votes. She is not going to pull away votes from the pro-Trump side of the equation. Every minute of airtime she or her surrogates get will be a minute of airtime the Democratic nominee and his or her surrogates get. Every dollar she raises will be a dollar denied to the Democratic candidate for president or his or her allied political action committees. The only votes she will win will be those coming from the anti-Trump bucket of votes. And that means she will be pulling votes away from the Democrat nominee. If I were running President Trump's political operation, I would send her new super PAC a $1,000 donation and a note that said, run, Liz, run. Now to Mike Pence and the January 6th committee. On Wednesday of last week, former Vice President Mike Pence said he would consider testifying before the House January 6th committee. 
If there was an invitation to participate before adding that such an action would be, quote, unprecedented, said Pence at St. Anselm College in New Hampshire, quote, you've heard me mention the Constitution a few times this morning. Through the Constitution, we have three co-equal branches of government, and any invitation that would be directed to me, I would have to reflect on that, he continued. It would be unprecedented in history for a vice president to be summoned to testify on Capitol Hill. But, as I said, I don't want to prejudge. If ever any formal invitation is rendered to us, we'd give it due consideration, end quote. By Saturday, Pence was dialing that back a bit. In an exclusive interview with the Washington Times from the Iowa State Fair, Pence said, quote, if the committee wanted to extend a formal invitation, I would consider it, but we would reflect very carefully on my obligations to preserve the separation of powers and the constitutional framework that I served in. I have real concerns about the partisan nature of the January 6th committee. By essentially rendering this as a partisan committee that's operating on a very partisan basis and at times leaking information and leaking testimony, I think in many respects it has squandered an opportunity to really thoughtfully examine what took place that day and where the failings were, end quote. And to those of you who were paying close attention, yes, I said Mike Pence was in New Hampshire on Wednesday and in Iowa on Saturday. And yes, for 50 years now, those have been the traditional first two states in the Republican presidential nominating process. You might think Mike Pence was thinking about running for the Republican presidential nomination in 2024. I could not possibly comment. Now more on the Iran nuclear deal. On Tuesday of last week, Iran's state-run news agency, IRNA, reported that Iran said it had submitted a written response to what the European Union lead negotiator had described as a final offer to restore the 2015 Iran nuclear deal, officially referred to as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. The news agency did not report on the contents of the response, but suggested that Iran was still not agreeing to the final offer, despite warnings that there would be no further negotiations. Quote, the differences are on three issues in which the United States has expressed its verbal flexibility in two cases, but it should be included in the text, said the IRNA report. The third issue is related to guaranteeing the continuation of the deal, which depends on the realism of the United States, end quote. By continuation of the deal, what the Iranians mean is they want to guarantee that a future U.S. president will not withdraw from the agreement as the last one did. The Biden administration has been unwilling to provide such a guarantee on the grounds that it cannot predict what a future president might want to do. Of course, if President Biden were to submit the agreement to the Senate as a treaty and win a two-thirds vote for ratification, he might assuage at least some of the Iranians' concerns on that front. The U.S. does not have a history of withdrawing from treaties which the Senate has ratified. But both Biden and the Iranians know that that's not a possibility because he could never win Senate ratification of the proposed agreement. Recognizing that Biden cannot guarantee the U.S. would never withdraw from the agreement, Iran's negotiators want to include a provision in the agreement that says if the U.S. were to withdraw from the agreement at a future date, the U.S. would, quote, have to pay a price, end quote. On Sunday, President Biden spoke with European leaders about Iran's position. 
From his vacation home in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, Biden spoke with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, French President Emmanuel Macron, and UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Bottom line, we still don't have a renewed agreement, and Iran is still stalling. Stay tuned. Now, finally, to the FBI raid follow-up. Last week, Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt ordered the release of the search warrant he issued to allow the FBI to search former President Trump's residence at Mar-a-Lago. That search warrant reveals justification for a very broad search. It specifically says that property to be seized includes, quote, any physical documents with classification markings, along with containers slash boxes, parenthesis, including any other contents, end parenthesis, in which such documents are located, along with any containers slash boxes that are collectively stored or found together with the aforementioned documents and containers slash boxes, end quote. That's fascinating. The judge authorized the seizure, not just of the property that might be evidence of three specific crimes, but also the seizure of any other nearby boxes or containers if they were stored or found together. That's an indication the government may be hoping to find something else. Who knows? Maybe documents relating to the DOJ's ongoing January 6th investigation? Judge Reinhardt also ordered the release of the inventory list showing what the FBI agents had taken from the premises, revealing that the FBI claimed to have taken 11 sets of classified documents. Trump's allies responded that President Trump declassified them before he left the White House. The law gives the president extraordinary powers to declassify intelligence on the spot. President Obama is reported to have once declassified information so that a staff member without the proper clearance could stay in the room for a discussion related to the information. And the Supreme Court has held that the president is the ultimate decider of what gets classified and what gets unclassified in case this ends up in court. The information released regarding the fruits of the search was helpful, but it did not really help us determine whether or not the search itself was justified. In order to do that, we would need Judge Reinhardt to order the release of the affidavit that was used to secure the search warrant. Typically, that affidavit, a sworn document in which an FBI agent attests to his belief that evidence of a crime can be found on the premise and why he believes that, isn't released unless and until an indictment is issued. That's done to protect the innocent. But in this case, President Trump is asking for the affidavit to be released, and the FBI is leaking like a sieve anyway, so it makes sense to release that affidavit. Judge Reinhardt held a hearing on Thursday of last week to hear arguments on why he should or should not order the release of the affidavit. The Department of Justice argued the entire document needed to remain under seal, not surprisingly. Said the government in its pleading, the warrant should remain sealed, quote, because the integrity of the ongoing investigation might be compromised and evidence might be destroyed, end quote. Judge Reinhardt said he would release at least a portion of the affidavit and ordered the Justice Department to redact it accordingly. He gave the Department of Justice until noon on August 25, that's this coming Thursday, to submit its proposed redactions. He said he would then decide whether he should accept the DOJ proposal or execute his own redactions before releasing the affidavit. And that's our Washington report for this week.